I don't know where you've been the last two weeks, but Wonder Woman's been crushing it in the box office. She's making all the boys in Marvel and DC Universe look like second-class citizens. It's been awesome. I, I still haven't gotten to see it yet because I can't see it without Nikki and Whippy. They just got back from camp, but, you know, it's one of those things. We can't wait. We love a good heroine. I love a good heroine, especially when I got, when um, we went boy, girl, boy with our kids. And when Whippy came around, I was like, um, just to know her is uh, just that just she, I always call her my, my little princess, my little warrior princess. And when she was growing up and beginning to read, uh, we've homeschooled for several years now. We would do book clubs, and one of the things that we discovered was uh, we'd be asked, she said, are there any stories with women as the heroes in it? And we're like, well, let's go find some, right? Disney finally gotten into it. They're finally producing heroes that we that from Mulana and from um, uh, Merida and Brave, but it's like few and far between. And I'm just like, if I'm going to raise a young woman to be the person that God has called her to be, she needs to see heroes like her. She needs to see some heroines, right? I believe that God created his male and female. He made his equal. And if we're going to talk about the Bible heroes like, uh, like we're doing over this next seven weeks, we need to bring up a good heroine, right? So here we are. We're going to be talking about Esther. But you know what? She's not the only one in the Bible. Uh, with the heroines in the Bible, there's a great chapter in the beginning of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 1 through 17. This is um, as, they, as Matthew was lining out the, the lineage of Jesus he actually throws five women into the mix there, uh, which was pretty, pretty, pretty up countercultural, pretty upsetting because um, Jewish saw themselves, the Jewish people saw themselves as a patriarchal society. But Matthew goes in there and says, yeah, y'all might be a patriarchal society, but if it wasn't for certain women stepping up at certain times, we would not be in this place at all. And so in Matthew's genealogy, we hear, we read, we first two women that he, that he comes up, that he brings up are Tamar and Rahab, and they've got questionable paths, paths, but they ultimately become heroes to the people of Israel. Then Rahab, you have Ruth, and then the wife of Uriah, which is Bathsheba. Um, Matthew's kind of, Matthew's kind of letting um, the dirty laundry air out there in the genealogy. He's not even calling her by her name, but saying David, David stole a wife from Uriah. But that's Bathsheba. And then finally we get to Mary in verse 16. And so the Bible is full of heroines. And, and in the series, I thought we needed to talk about one. And so I wanted to talk about one of my favorites, who is Esther. And so right as we get from, as we move past First and Second Chronicles and Kings and First and Second Samuel, you get into some other historical books in the Bible right before Psalms. And here's a story, nine, a story that's 10, uh, 10 chapters long, all about Queen Esther. And it's got everything. The story's got everything. Kings, queens, you know, a rise from, from rags to riches, kind of rise of a person, a wise uncle, and it's even got a bad guy. And so as, we, as you move through the story, I really would encourage you to read these 10 chapters today or this week. It's, it's, an, it's an amazing read about God's faithfulness to his people. Um, but let me set the stage for us. And as you jump into the chapter, the first thing is you meet King Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. Uh, it's not funny. Uh, king Ahasuerus was also known as King Xerxes of the Persians and the Mede. Medes. And the way that Esther uh, portrays him is he's rich, he's powerful, he's got it all together, but he's a little bit insecure. How do we know this? He throws a six-month kegger for all of his officials to just show how rich and how powerful he is. Six-month party that's going on, and at the end of it, 
he gets a little out of hand. The boys get a little out of hand, and they want they call for King, Queen Vashti, who was over in another part of, another part of the palace with the women having their own separate party, and they want Queen Vashti to come over and entertain the boys. In not a good way. Um, I'm just you know, I'm just trying to make sure I keep this PG. If you read it, if you read the story and you and you and read what they were asking, this was entertainment sans clothing. This was not edifying. And what does Queen Vashti do? She does what any good queen does, right? She goes, not on your life. Well, it, it's amazing that it didn't cost her hers. But she says no. And the, um, the king and his officials, because they're boys and their feelings are hurt, they banish her. Um, they don't kill her. We don't read that in the story. But she's no longer able to see, no longer able to be in the king's presence at that point. And when uh, King um, Ahasuerus or King Xerxes gets over it, he realizes that he doesn't have a queen, and so he's got to figure out what to do. His officials then come up with some kind of weird cross between the first Miss Universe contest and like a first like kind of like a Babylonian bachelorette kind of competition where they're going to take all the virgins, all the prize virgins from 127 provinces, which is the known world at that point, and they're going to bring them into, into Susa and the, um, to the capital to, and then have this competition where the next queen will be chosen. And it's in this competition that we meet Esther, or Hadassah. I love um, that they give, they give us her Hebrew name, Hadassah. Esther probably meant star, was, a, um, was, a, was, a, was going to be a relationship to one of their, their uh, foreign deities. But Hadassah actually means compassion. And it's here, it's here in the story that we see how creative God's compassion is for his people through Esther. Now, Esther is an uh, orphan. Uh, who, whose parents died. Um, she's probably third generation in the Babylonian captivity. Her parents were first generation, second, or her parent, her grandparents were brought in, her parents were born, but her mother and father die, and she's adopted by her uncle Mordecai. And Mordecai is the one who raises her, who oversees her, and he also becomes the one who plays a pivotal role in her life. Mordecai is known in the capital of Susa. He's not a high-ranking official as the story begins, but he is a, he is a re- well-respected man. Mordecai also becomes the, the target of the bad guy in the story. And what would any story be without a bad guy, right? Lex Luthor, the Superman, Joker, the Batman. You can't have a superhero or heroine without a bad guy, right? Well, here's Haman. Haman, the bad guy. He's a rich, young, up-and-coming official. Yes, you can boo. Hiss. If you're an Aggie, you would hiss every time the talk about UT, which is appropriate. Um, <laughs> sorry. So Haman, the bad guy, he's rich, he's powerful, he's up and coming, he's second in the land, um, and the king, has, uh, the king has ordered that everybody in the city gate should bow when Haman comes in, and, and everybody does it except for Mordecai, because he's a devout Jew, and Mordecai's not going to bend his knee to anybody uh, anybody but God. And so as Haman is coming in and out of the city gate, all these people are bowing. Do you think that's enough for him? No. What does he focus on? The one guy that won't bow, the one guy that won't bow down to him. And so he figures out who Mordecai is and he's going to get back at him. But it's, but it's weird. This guy is like, this guy's like, just not, he's not just going to get Mordecai. He's so upset. He f- tries to figure out who his people are and he figures out he's a Jew. And then he's going to wipe out all the Jews his hatred, his insecurity, whatever was going on in that guy. I'm like, seriously, man, you really? Okay, so he's going to take out the Jews uh, out of all 127 provinces. And Haman, because he's close to the king, he flatters him and he bribes him with 10,000 pieces of silver. 
And he gets this edict written that says on a certain day, at a certain time, all the Jews are going to die. All because Mordecai won't bow to him. And that's where we are in the story with these five major players um, uh, where we find ourselves. And it's here that, um, it's here that Mordecai begins to talk to Esther through her, her, her butler, eunuch butler, Haytack. Because he couldn't just go to the queen and talk to her, right? You've got you to have protocol here. And so it's here in the story that we actually see Esther at that moment where she's going to be moved from queen to actually a hero of the faith, from, a, from someone, who has, someone who has found her place in the world and maybe is comfortable with it to, uh, to a point where she has to risk to be a part of what God is going to do if he's going to save his people. And so here we are in the story. And if we're going to be like, uh, like, like Esther, we've got to, if we're going to find our place like Esther and join God in his role, in his mission to save and to restore and to deliver people, we need to be like Esther. First of all, what I think she did was, um, I'm going to give you four points here today. What I think she did is that she listened to others. Esther, to become who she was, to become the hero and the heroine that she was, she had to listen to others. Like, I had to listen to others when I was coming up, especially through college. It was in college I, um, I had really created a projector, trajectory to, to go into medicine, and I thought that's where I was supposed to be. I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing. But as I was moving through the Texas Tech Wesley Foundation, um, God, just, God just began to speak to me and began to move me. And I thought, man, am I, am I, you know, I found myself asking, am I supposed to be in ministry? Am I supposed to go to seminary? All these questions. Um, but I was smart enough not to bring it up to anybody because I think once you have those conversations, it, it becomes more real. And one Thanksgiving, um, the Thanksgiving that I was really struggling with my, my first senior year, I did it in five, uh, had, a, had a victory lap. My first senior year, um, I found myself at Thanksgiving with, a, with our family and my grandmother, who was very, very, just very faithful, faithful Christian. Um, and she goes, hey, Craig, why don't you come out in the garage and help me with something? And so I go out there with her to grab the, the coffee set or whatever it was we needed to get. And she just kind of looked me in the eye real quick and she said, now, when you're ready to go to seminary, I want to help you go. You just tell me, and, and I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you $200 a month to, to help you make it through because I know it's getting expensive. And then she walked back in the house. And whatever I had, I can't even remember what I had. I'm just like, how, what, how? I mean, like, I thought she was reading my mail. I thought she was telepathic at that point. I was like, Nanny, what are you saying? She goes, when you're ready to go to seminary, I want to help you go. And I go, I haven't told anybody. How did you know? She goes, she goes, Creighton, I've been watching you. I've been watching you. I figured you were going to figure it out sooner or later. She spoke into me. She, and she was one of those people that I, I would listen to. I, maybe she was one of the only person, person that I thought at that moment, at that time, that I would listen to. And that was my calling. And I think whatever your calling is, whatever you're up to, who are those people that speak into you, your life? For Esther, it was Mordecai. Let's read along here in this passage where he begins to talk with, and again, he's talking through the servant. So it's a little bit like a game of telephone. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their, their destruction that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Do you get what's happening? Mordecai, like Nanny, was calling Esther up. 
Not only out, but calling her up. He had been watching her. He had, he had seen her. He would cared for her. He was invested in her. And at the same time, he also saw this opportunity. He also knew, could, could catch a glimpse of what God was doing in her and around her to set, not only to save her and for her betterment, but to save their people. He was paying attention like a good mentor does. And I wonder, in your life, who is it that has spoken up and into your life? Who has called you out? Who has helped you make that decision? Who has helped you to see the opportunities and, and helped you see the, help, you, help you see the problems and the processes that you need to step into? Who is that person that's called you up? I'd love for you to do this uh, sometime today before you lay your head down on your pillow. Fill this blank in. Um, Mordecai spoke into Esther's life like nanny spoke into mine. Mordecai spoke into Esther's life like Steve Moore has spoken into mine. Mordecai spoke in, into Esther's life like, um, like Steve Rankin has spoken into mine. I've, I'm, I'm very thankful to have a, a, a tribe of mentors that have, have, have helped me lead, helped me take steps along the way for you. Who is that person? Who's that relative? Who's that friend? Who's that boss? Who's that mentor? Who's that, that teacher that has seen more in you than you've seen in yourself? Who sees what God is doing in your life and is challenging you to take that next step? Who is it? If we're going to be a hero like Esther, we've got to listen to others. We've got to allow them to speak. And when they speak, we've got to act. If we're going to be like Esther, we're also going to have to learn to lay our excuses down. They're there's, no, there's really no excuse. My twin brother, um, and again, you know, he might be the evil twin. I don't know. Um, <laughs> my twin brother uh, did something two years ago that has still kind of rings in our family. Because Holly, our, our youngest cousin, was getting married. Uh, and some would even say she was finally getting married. And Carlin didn't show up. Uh, Holly was my grandmother's favorite. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, she she uh, experienced multiple, multiple medical complications and illnesses when she was little. She had 20 surgeries by the time she was three. We didn't know how long we were going to get to keep her. Uh, she gets through her master's program. She falls, comes back home to, uh, to, the, to the Panhandle area. She falls in love with a, with a wheat farmer in Plainview. And uh, it's so quick. It's so fast. Um, in three months, they're going to get married, and everybody's excited, except for Carlin, because him and his family had planned a trip to Disney World a year before. Um, and he's talking to my mom, and he's talking to my mom, and we're kind of getting the, uh, bits of the conversation through text and phone calls because mom is mad. You're what? You're not coming to Holly's wedding. You have to come to Holly's wedding. And we're texting him and calling him Carlin you got to go to Holly's wedding. I mean, like, you can't miss this, right? And he, and he just stood there. He, he stood on his principle of it, and he didn't come. He didn't come. I and mean, he's like, I have tickets to, to, to Disney World. I'm like, dude, you can change stuff. You, this is not a good excuse. You're going to get disowned, you know? We're trying to help you out here, buddy. He didn't have a good excuse. What about Esther? What about what God was calling her to as queen? Um, and queen is really a loose title. She was a subject. She was a slave. She was a conquered people. Um, as in her rise to become queen, it wasn't by choice. It wasn't like, like people who would, who would give their left arm to become a part of the voice or, or a bachelor, or, or our versions of bachelor. She was compelled to do it. 
and yet she's still queen. Um, she has this title. She has this role. But what would it cost her? What was the risk? What was her excuse? Because she had it. She had one. It says here in verse 9 and 10, following, Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai said. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside or inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called to come in to the king for 30 days. What's her excuse? It could could mean her life. It could mean her life. And even though she's queen, she hadn't seen the guy for 30 days. He didn't, you know, does he even know she exists anymore at this point? Um, Her excuse, she had a real, really good excuse, right? A really good excuse. What about us? When God comes calling, when mentors and and, and advisors and people who have spoken into us call us up and call us out, what are our excuses? I know them. I live them too. They don't have enough time. They don't have the resources. Uh, That's not my job. Uh, Someone else can do it. I mean, there are all kinds of things that we say when God comes knocking. But like my twin brother, when it comes to Hollis wedding, um, we really don't have an excuse as good as Esther's, right? Um, We live in a place, we live in a country that allows us freedoms that she would never have enjoyed allow us possibilities and choices that she could have never made for herself. And she ultimately lays her excuses down, even the risk of death, to say yes to what God is doing. And I just want to ask us, when, when, God, comes, when God comes knocking or a mentor calls us out and calls us up, it's okay. It, it may be even, it, I think it's okay to even acknowledge the excuses or what's going on, but we've got to learn to lay those things down. Because God wants us to involve us. It's not just about us anymore. God wants to use us to see other people restored and redeemed and freed. Our excuses. Um, I mean, just a little bit of perspective. Uh, and I hope, I hope you know that I'm, I'm poking y'all as much as I'm poking myself. That unlike Esther, our excuses don't include dying for our faith here. At this time, at this moment, they don't. What God is calling us to uh, we need to learn how to say yes. And that's the next thing I'd say Esther did. Uh, well, let, me, let me stop. She's going to say yes. But she did it by, by being able to grasp the whole story. Um, grasp the whole story of what God was doing. One of our favorite books, um, something that the kids have to read by the time that they're 13, um, is The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy, because I'm their dad, and I say so. Um, <laughs> Uh, we we have something that we give them at the at their thirteenth birthday, and so it just it, it doesn't work unless they read it by then. But we love it. We love the story. We um we don't we don't talk in elfish, in elfish uh, but we sure do love the what, what's happening there. What I especially love is a place that the hobbits play. Right here, are these little people doing their own little thing. They got their manicured gardens and their farms and stuff. They've got their nine different meals that they eat a day. They're perfectly, they're perfectly, you know, um, set up homes with the little round doors and the, the paint on them perfect. You know, everything looks perfect, right? The shower is perfect. It's great. There's no trouble there. People don't stay out late at night. There's no teepeeing houses because that would be bad, right? The shower's, the shower's awesome. And somehow I feel like that's an incredible, incredible picture of the church today, of who we are as Christians. We've got our little bubble. We've got our little shower set up. 
And, 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 and what God is trying to do is in this, and I think the shower is great. I think it's a great place to, to be from. But I think what God is trying to do is call us out into the world so that we can be his hands and his feet to redeem it and restore it and set things right. Because though, though the shire is great, it's, it's, that's, not the, that's, not the, that's not all of the world. And so like Gandalf, God, God shows up through the person of the Holy Spirit and begins to meddle in the shire and call a couple of us hobbits out to go on mission. And it's not just a couple that he wants. He wants all of us there. He wants, he wants to pull us all into a place of serving him out there. I love Bilbo. I love the story of Bilbo. He's so reluctant. I love the story of Frodo, how he's trying to figure out what his place is. Like Joetta had talked about, his place in this puzzle of the redemption of the world. And I love his questions. Uh, his, his questions in the, in the book, his questions in the, in the movie, because I think they're honest and they're good. But more than that, I love how Gandalf responds to him, especially in the caves of Moria. Listen to how the Gandalf in Esther's life says it says to her, what she what he says to her and when they told mordecai what esther had said mordecai told them to reply to esther do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than any of all any of all the other jews for if you keep silent at such a time as this relief and deliverance will rise for the jews from another quarter but you and your fam- father's family will perish who knows perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this for just such a time like a Frodo, like Esther. I wonder what our time is. For Esther, what Mordecai did was help Esther see the big picture, that God had been at work in the lives of his, of his people all along, that God was moving and at work in his life all along. Here's what's really interesting about the book of Esther. You won't ever see God's name brought up. You won't ever see Yahweh or Elohim or all the other, any of the other names the Jews had used talk about God, he's, he's seemingly absent. He's seemingly not present. And yet, what we read, and when you read the whole story, you realize that he's been there all along. And Mordecai helped her see that. Her daily office, the thing that she needed to do, whatever a queen does in the, in the kingdom of the Persians and the Medes, uh, he was there. He was there when she was when she, she was orphaned, he was there as she was ra- grow, growing up. He was there even as Haman was was planning the destruction of the Jews. God was at work. God was at work in the lives of his people, and we just need to step back and see that big picture. I wonder in your life if you're able to see or able to acknowledge that God is at work. Because I know times the hard times come and crisis comes, and it seems like bills can't get paid, or someone gets sick, or we're, uh, the the job is in jeopardy. Other things, and we're wondering, is God even there? What Mordecai would say, what I hope we would say to each other is, yes, God is at work, even if someone doesn't bring up his name. And here's the question. Um, it's not, uh, it's it, for Esther, and I think for us too, it's whether or not we join him, God's going, God will save his people. Whether or not we join him individually, whether or not Esther joined him, Mordecai had enough faith, had enough trust in who God was that he knew he was going to save his people. He was going to show up. He was going to deliver. He was going to make good on his promises to his people. And what we need to understand is that that same God has called us into relationship with himself today. And whether we step up or not, won't stop his love from winning in the end. He's going to make things right. He's going to make things new. He's going to draw people back to himself himself. 
But for us, like Esther, we have the opportunity to join him or not. And I think what, Mesh, what Mordecai would say, what Gandalf would say to the Frodo's of the world is, you don't want to miss being a part of that. It's a bigger picture, and you've got a part to play, and you've got this crucial part to play. Say yes to it. Because God has been working through Esther's life. Um, he, he, I think he, he, shares, he reminds her in a way that he's, God's been working through her life to save his people. That what she is and where she's at, uh, her, the position she's in, is there not just for herself. We can shire up sometimes, or we can shire down. Uh, we, we think it's just about us. But God has been moving. God has put us in places where, uh, but I think even strategically, strategically, whether we can see it or not, whether we, whether we want to be there or not, um, whether we, we choose to accept the gift or not, he's put us in places to be his hands and feet of deliverance for others. If we can just grasp the whole story, if we can just see that this is our time, this is, that our time is now. And so, like Esther, we need to learn how to say yes. We need to learn how to say yes. I'm glad my dad said yes to me um, uh, one night when I needed him really badly. I had uh, worked for a doctor in town. He would, um, we, I'd fix up, fix up houses for him. I think that's where I got uh, the home, home improvement bug. Um, he would, he'd throw me in, we'd throw me in a house and well, um, I would eventually get it right. It was great. He was a good teacher. Uh, I was a willing student. Um, and he also let me drive his big Silverado truck around. So the big blue uh, crew cab truck, and it even had a, uh, one of those 1980s portable, uh, portable cell, cell phones that, you know, could drain the battery in like half an hour if the car wasn't on. It was massive. I mean, it was just a massive thing, and I wasn't supposed to use it except for emergencies. And, and boy, one night I found an emergency to call. Uh, I was driving home from the job, uh, about to get, uh, you know, if I was done for the day, and I didn't want to leave uh, the 15 gallons of paint I didn't have time to take the 15 gallons of paint that I'd, I'd picked up from the store back to the site, so I was just going to take it home with me. Strapped it in real good, I thought. And uh, this guy pulls out in front of me, and I, pulled, I, I, do what I, I do everything I can to avoid the car, and I miss it. But in the process, I end up um, shaking that paint loose, and um, I just see, uh, as I'm coming to a stop, I just see these, these three uh, five-gallon uh, buckets of paint slide underneath the, the toolbox, and then I hear, wa-boom! And I look back, and there's like three plumes of bone white paint going, bloop! And it just covers the truck. I, I, I couldn't have poured that paint on the truck any better than that. There was hardly any blue left, you know? And I'm like, ah! And I'm trying to find the nearest uh, car wash thing that I can get going, and I'm, and I'm starting the process, and I realize I don't got any change on me at all. I mean, I might have had enough just to get the paint wet, try to keep it from setting too fast. And I pick up that phone, and I call Doc, and I can't get him. He's not at home. And then I call my dad. I'm like, Dad, I've spent so much paint on this truck. You've got to come help me. I told him where I was, and he shows up with, um, with, he shows up with a yes and $50. And we, we spent every last quarter of that $50 trying to save that truck, which we did. But uh, an hour, hour and a half later, it was a, it was a hard-fought battle. He showed up. He showed up. He said yes even though he didn't know what he was getting in. Just like Esther. Esther showed up. Esther stepped up, and she said yes, even though uh, she didn't know 
what was coming. Read with me. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, neither eat nor drink for three days, not a day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. This isn't fatalistic, friends. Uh, this, is, this is a yes. This is a yes. But I perish, I perish. Then Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. See, Esther said yes, even though she didn't have all the answers or know how it was all going to turn out. And we're only in chapter 4, right? So we don't know how it's turning out yet. But she said yes. She said yes. I believe that with what God is calling you to, you, whatever it is, wherever it's at, school, work, club, northeast part of Edmond, southwest part of Edmond, whatever, Wherever he's calling you, wherever he's asking you to step in, wherever he's asking you to be a hero, to free others, to see others set free, you can say yes, even if you don't have a five-year plan, even if you don't know how the budget's going to work out, even if you don't know how it's going to turn out. You can say yes because he will be with you. He doesn't just send us out on missions to, to, to go do something and hope we make it back. No, he goes with us. He empowers us. He's there. It's on-the-job training. And it's in that moment that Esther becomes an incredible model for us because she's not only saying yes without the answers, without the final product, no, without knowing how it's going to work out, but she also, she also says yes because she turned into God instead of away from him when the trouble came. She turned to him, not only praying what I believe praying before she made the decision, but praying as she walked into the decision because she prayed and she fasted not to ultimately, she already made a decision. She's telling, she's telling Haytack to tell Mordecai, okay, I'm going to do it. But she asked people to pray with her and fast with her so that she could be prepared for what's coming. Prayer isn't just a Hail Mary kind of a thing that we say before a test or when, or when, when someone gets sick or, you know, we're, you know oh, oh, Jesus, please help me. But prayer is also something that we do so that when we know which direction we go, we can be open to the guidance and the instruction of what God is doing so that we can fulfill what he has for us. It's a connection. It's a lifeline. It's an infusion that allows us to stay connected. And that's what she does. She buckles down. She doubles down in, for, three, for three days to say, okay, um, whatever it is, I'm going to say yes to you, and we're going to pray. And at this moment, we trust you. We know you. We know what you're about. And as I step into that, if I, as I step into that, that that palace room, to that inner chamber, God, it's up to you at that point. She said yes. She said yes without having it, without having it all worked out. Whatever God is calling you to, whatever God calls us to as a church family, whatever's next, here's what we can trust. Here's what we can know. He's going to be with us, right? Yes, he's going to be with us. So we can say it, this, whatever the risk, whatever the trial, whatever the crisis, we can say yes, because God's going to make good on his promises. The challenge for us, the challenge for us is to be aware. I think the challenge for us is to see the big picture. A challenge for us is to lay our excuses down. Uh, a challenge for us is to not only pray as we begin, but to continue to pray and stay connected with God as we move forward so that he can steer us. Um, he, can, he can guide us into what he has, not only for us, but for others. 
Um, one, of the, one of the biggest examples of someone who has, uh, uh, who has modeled this for me was a seminary classmate named Tammy. Uh, she grew up in the Georgia Wesley Foundation uh, there in uh, um, uh, the, North, the North Georgia Conference. We met at seminary, and Tammy had a passion for, um, for missions, and she had a passion for kids. And she just knew God was going to um, combine that one day. Um, her last two uh, mission trips she took were to India, and she, uh, even from the very beginning, we, we, heard, we, we can remember hearing her talk about maybe God has something for her in India. Um, let me see. Yeah, so that's Tammy. Where is she? That's Tammy right here. Y'all see her? Kind of, it's blurry. Sorry, this is an old, this was before digital pictures. There's Nikki and I over there. Yeah, whatever, whatever with the hair. You can see the hair. It would be interesting. But that, yeah, so there's Tammy right there. Uh, that was right before we left. And when we were graduating and taking churches and going to campus ministries, Tammy bought a one-way ticket to India and wanted to see what God was going to do with her there. Uh, and when she showed up, she bought a home uh, because she could. <laughs> and, uh, and, and within the first week, she had adopted her first child. Um, somehow the government had allowed her to do that. And then as she began to just tell, and really it was like emails. It, I don't even know if some of y'all remember Juno. Like Juno was barely functioning at that point. But we get letters and, and stuff from her, and she slowly began to adopt more and more kids as the government would allow her to. She set up this home, and, um, and, after, um, and, and we just thought she was crazy. And we're like, what are you doing, Tammy? She goes, I'm just trying to do what I can. I'm just trying to say yes to the next kid that comes. I'm just trying to be faithful where I'm at. And, you know, and we just thought she's crazy. She's going to be home in a year. Um, and that's what, that was her pastor friend saying that. Um, after five or six years, uh, and after about the 20th kid that she was able to adopt and begin to supporting, uh, we, we figured that we, we, we finally learned with her that maybe she knew more along along was that God was was doing something there. Um, this picture is um, about about seven years ago. Um, it's not all 49 kids that she had, she currently has adopted or belong to this home, but it's most of them. Uh, you, and you can see the ages and the ranges from them. Um, kids who were indispensable in that culture, who had no family or who, who uh, society didn't even think it was worth helping out. Tammy said yes to him. And then this is um, at this this guy right here was one of her, her young one of the earliest kids adopted. He was getting married, and these are all the these are all the um, the uh, um, the not the older people, but the the young people behind are the, the her kids. They call her Tammy Ma now. And you look at that, and I, and I look at that, and I, and it's overwhelming. But when I remember what she did and how she started out, she just found herself in a place where she felt like God could use her. She found herself in a place where she felt responsible uh, to do something, and she just said yes to the first child that came. And, and almost 20 years later, she's got 49 kids, and, uh, and I only have three. I don't, know, I don't know if it counts. I don't know if it's a competition, you know. But she just said yes 20, 21 years ago, and look what God has done. I don't think... Um, um, I don't think... Uh, I don't know the scale of what God's trying to do in your life and where he has you. We're all at different places. We all have different gifts. We all have different roles to play. 
But over this next week, could you say yes to God? Could you lay down um, your, maybe your, your best excuse um, and just say, okay, God, what is it you have for me? Ask this question. This, um, uh, candidly, sincerely, God, you know, God, why do you have me here at this time? What do you have for me to do? Where's God placed you? Where are you now? What's God equipped you to do that no one else can? What relationships you have? What position? What influence do you have that's going to help tip the, um, get it off high center and, and get something, get something going that God needs done. And not just in the church, but, but in your neighborhoods, in your schools, in your, in your, in your businesses, among the lives of your friends. What is it that only you can do? Cause Esther had, only Esther could do it. She's the only one with the access. What access do you have? And then finally, what's one step, just one step today that you can say yes in this week that you can say yes to God, that you can move out of, move, even, even, even it's just to the edge of our, our, our shire, to our bubble, step out and say yes to what God is doing in that wide, wide world uh, to see other people healed, to see other people encouraged, to see other people made whole again. What's one step that you can take? Because the world is looking for heroes. And Esther's not here anymore. Mordecai is not here anymore. It's us. It's us.